Hola, 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 amigos, amigos, players, playwrights, doo-doo-dats, everybody in between. Welcome to episode 112, 112 of the latest attempt to silence Murph and Morgan. As I said before, we will not go quietly into the night. We are back again. And Murph, this is a this is a historic one. Put this on your calendars. It's historic it is. Be- because this is the first time we've had a two-timer. First time we've brought somebody back. Um, and think about that, 112 episodes, there's a lot of people out there. Um, and one of the reasons we're bringing this guy back is because of a lot of the comments we got, um, a lot of the interest that was shown, and wanting to hear more about the story. So we decided to do that. So we decided to bring Ramon Mundo Mendoza from, uh, he was a Mexican mafia, you know, from a Mexican mafia hitman, you know, from altar boy to Mexican mafia hitman was the title of his book. And, uh, you know, this is our first, like I said, we, we decided to bring him back actually fairly quickly after we did the interview, after we ran into him at the uh, Southern California gang conference. It was, it's, uh, so his first episode was, uh, one Oh three, which was, uh, mid June and the comments we got, I mean, we, we got a ton of comments from listeners asking, Hey, this was fantastic. It's great to take an inside view of the bad guys, especially a, a, a very violent organization like the Mexican mafia. And you guys are asking us to bring him back on for more information. And Mundo was was uh, very gracious about it. He worked us into his schedule. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about where he was. He didn't tell us, and we don't ask things like that because he's still fierce for his life. But it, it did look like he was in a motel room doing this. So he was, I don't know if he's in hiding or what he was doing, but you know, he's having to live incognito, which I can't imagine is is a lot of fun but certainly was gracious enough to come back on and tell us more stories. And, and you know what? They're just as scary as, uh, as the first ones. And some of the things he tells us on this one were a little surprising about how the cops were handling him and letting him run. And It's almost, you know, you wonder how, look, and the other reason you're seeing two folks, we're not going to do small town police blotter. We made a decision. Look, when, when we talk about stuff like this, like when we did uh, Natasha Hertzig, you know, or some other folks, there's nothing funny about this stuff. So we're not, we're not, right. we don't want to make light of it. So we are not going to do small town police blotter for this one. Uh, Cause this is some serious stuff, but we get into talking about two additional murders he did while he was working with law enforcement, how he had to cut a deal for that to testify against some other people, went back, did his time, you know, and what, you know, and we talk about a lot of the issues about, you know, hey, what can we do to intervene in this stuff? Where, where is that point to where we can intervene with kids, keep them out of this gang life? We talk about a lot of stuff going on. And uh, you know, just to be just to be blunt, it's not like uh, we're the type of guys that are going to, hey, we'll fly out. Let's meet for dinner, Mundo. Let's go hang around and pal around. There's a professional respect simply because of what he used to do and what we used to do. Um, mm-hmm. We understand why he's doing what he's doing now. And as we always say, you can, you know, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And one of the ways you look at that is how long has he been doing it? What's his message been? Does it show, is it an act or is it truly contrition? Has he really changed? And I think we both kind of got the feeling is by talking with him and what he's done and who he's talking to, um, he'll, he can never undo what he did. Never undo right. what he did, but he can try to do with his remaining time. Can he do something to make society a better place? And I, 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 I believe he's doing that. He's coming across as as uh, trying to live a Christian lifestyle, uh, which is admirable. But it's always, I mean, you guys know I'm a, I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid, and things like that make me a little suspect. And I tend to follow those people uh, anywhere I can on social medias to to see are they really coming across like that and 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 for all intents and purposes mundo is and when we talk to law enforcement officers around the country where he has spoken at different conferences we're hearing excellent things where he's trying to educate law enforcement about what the mexican mafia is about how it operates what they're doing what they're focused on how they manipulate the legislatures especially in california uh, all the inside information and that's if you're going to investigate these kind of people you have to get inside their minds you have to think like them to be successful in an investigation. So uh, like Morgan said, he's a convicted murderer. Mundo's a convicted murderer. He's, he's uh, atoned for his sins. That's something between him and God, but under our laws, he's done his time. And, and according to our criminal justice system, he's a free man now. Yeah. Now he's a convicted felon. He'll, you know, he'll, that, that's something he'll live with for life. He can't undo his criminal history. And I, I just think it's important for you guys to understand. We just didn't decide to bring him on. I mean, when we talked about this, we talked with our folks, 
out in uh, San Diego. We talked mm-hmm. with Mel Sosa, who runs that. We vetted him. You know, we, that's to your point. We wanted to see, is he really doing this? Is he legit? He just didn't pop up on here because we were desperate one day to go, hey, we need a guest. You know, if you've mm-hmm. if you've noticed, after 112 episodes, this is our first repeat. Um, it's not like we're we're going to run out of guests. You know, we have a tough right. time scheduling some of them sometimes, but we, we're not going to run out of guests. This was more about it is a. I think it's it's something people need to listen to, especially parents with kids, especially getting to that age. We talk about the age. I don't want to tell you what it is because you need to listen to hear it. But what's that age? He says, that's where you've got to be present in the kid's life. That's where mm-hmm. the danger comes from. So there is a point, he says, that's prime recruiting age. And you got to be aware of that. And he just, he, he, he talks about the things he saw. So I, I just think it's, I think it's a good lesson. I think it's a build from that, but again, make no mistake. We're not giving him a free pass. We're not saying, Oh, it's okay. Right. No, it's no. you, you kill somebody. It's not okay. Even if there are other gang members or other folks, it's not okay. However, but to your point, why did we talk to William Rodriguez Abadia? Because you want to investigate the cartels? You got to understand the cartels. Why do you talk? Why do we talk to Ken Rijok, the money launderer? Why do we talk to Luis Navia? Uh, if you want to understand what makes bad guys and bad girls tick, you want to understand why they commit crimes. That's the only way in law enforcement. Law enforcement doesn't learn by this by having somebody goes, "Well, I read a book on this stuff, and now I'm the expert. I'm going to teach it." You bring right. these people in, and they talk to you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, let's bring him on. All right. So, let me ask you, Murph. And this truly, I mean, when we talk about a dangerous game, you're in the Mexican mafia, you're targeted for life. He still has a green light. So are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all? The first two-time game of crimes. As we said last time, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. He's getting ready to knock your socks off again. Bring on Mundo. This is a momentous episode, and you know why? You know why, Murph? It's momentous. I, I got a pretty good idea why. It is our first time for a second interview of a guest. Yep. Mundo, Raymond Mundo, uh, as we call him, Mundo. Um, he is our first, and the reason he's back is because we had so we had so much reaction mm-hmm. to his episode. And people were fascinated by it. I mean, they weren't giving you a free pass. I got to tell you that. But they were very fascinated by the fact is that you came on, you were straightforward, you talked about things, and you opened a lot of people's eyes. So um, welcome back, Mundo. Bienvenidos. Hey, good to be back. And uh, thank you. Uh, I, uh, I'm i not giving myself a free pass either. So I, I, I'm, I'm with them. <laughs> yeah, well, but but that's but you know, but what I like about that is that you you understand where you're at. You understand that. Um, look, here's what I did. Here's my history. Um, and but like Murph and I said, the fact that you're out, the fact that you've done the time, you've paid your debt to society. We don't agree with the things you did. You know that we talked about that. But the, what we do agree with is that look. We have to, we have, we can't be so parochial, you know, to where we say, well, yeah, we can never talk to a bad guy. Well, if you don't talk to the bad guys and the bad girls, how do you learn how to investigate the bad guys and the bad girls, right? If we never understand how the gangs work, how do we, and who, look, I had a trial one time on a homicide trial and, and the, uh, uh, basically the county attorney said, look, if you're going to prosecute the devil, you got to go to hell to get your witnesses, you know? Um, every now and then. So, hey, but anyway, we wanted to welcome you back, Mundo, and uh, you know your your book um, from Alter Boy to you know Hitman. Uh, your basically that was your biography. We had a great time, like I said, talking with you, Murph. You got it there. Put that back up there so uh, I can read off the name again because it's a, it says Mexican Mafia, the Gang of Gains, the life of Ramon uh, Ramon Mundo Mendoza from Alter Boy to Hitman, and this is the second edition, which we've got listed on our um, uh, our book page. But when we did our initial interview, um, you know, we talked before this in the pre-call, we kind of wanted to say, look, where do we go from here? What, what can we talk about? And you brought out that about halfway through our interview, we talked about going rogue and what that meant. So we're going to get into that. But you also mentioned something I thought was really good. And Murphy, you know it too. It's like um, sometimes there is a status assigned. Cops get this thing. Well, I investigate organized crime. Well, mm-hmm. And you just do, um, you know, little little bitty neighborhood crime traffic. and stuff. Yeah. 
Don't right. yeah, don't call me AAA or this interview's over, man. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but since you brought it up, <laughs> yeah. Well, you got that's why you, that's why DEA gets most of their seizures from those good troopers that are out there. But but you know well, somebody's got to do the criminal part of it. That's right. Yeah, that's us. We did the we did the hard work. Now you got <clears throat> you, you desk jockeys can take it <clears throat> from there. <clears throat> Bullshit. <clears throat> Bullshit. Sorry. Um. But hey, well, but let's get back to Mundo though. So, but let let's do that. So let's dive in. People can go back. Let's just do like a quick like you know two three minute recap of just your life story about how we got to where we are. Um, and then so for folks who didn't listen to that episode, and if you didn't, I suggest you go back and listen to Mundo's episode. It is, like I say, without a doubt, one of the most instructive ones. And I got to bring it back. I have my list here. So um, let me bring it up here. It was, here we go, episode 103. 103, which came out on June 19th. So this is actually pretty fast. We 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 put it out June 19th, and here we are in August with you back again. So Mundo. Yes, Let's sir. do a quick recap of your life. How did you get from where you started to where we are now sitting on this podcast talking about your life? Yeah, that was, uh, and that was covered in the last uh, podcast, but you're right. In recapping it, it was, um, I, I, I guess you can call it a targeted rescue mission by the Lord. Uh, God targeted me in the Kern County Jail because I was not ready for anything like this, or so I thought. I, I, when I say like this, I was not ready to leave that life. I, I was sitting in uh, Kern County Jail, of course, and uh, ready to go to prison, uh, do the rest of my life. I cut my fiance loose, uh, all the things that a career criminal has to prepare for. Uh, I was ready. I was ready for that life. And uh, I did not see uh, myself becoming an undercover operative and turning against my fellow uh, Confederates. Uh, I was as, I guess you can call it as loyal, as demented as it came. Uh, and, uh, and I was targeted because this, this group of people that found me in that Kern County jail, I mean, that was uh, nothing short of miraculous. And I scratched my head afterwards thinking, how did this happen? And And I'm glad that it happened, but I'm just saying, uh, when you have blinders on, you don't see things like that coming until they come, until they, until you get hit, and until you agree to to be, you know, to to change. And I, yeah. you know, I got to give myself but, a little bit of credit. Is that I, he, you know, the, the Lord did not violate my free will. The, yeah, yeah, He didn't violate my free will. I, 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 I my eyes were open. The blinders came off, kind of like uh, Paul when he got blinded and knocked off his horse and uh, my eyes were opened and then the rest was me. And so now I'm in a position after all these years of sickness, uh, you know, almost two decades of uh, gang activity and, 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 and heading in that direction, you know, a career criminal, uh, all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, geez, my two murder cases are dismissed uh, two of many, many that I participated in and never was caught for, I might add, but the two that they caught me for were dismissed on a legal technicality. And now I'm thinking, okay, how do I give back? How do I do something that's worthwhile? You know, what do I do now that I have no cases pending? I'm going to get discharged from parole. So what do, what's my next step in life? So my well, next just interrupt you just very quickly. At what age was this? How old were you? Uh, about twenty. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, when that when I got released, it was seventy seven. So I was twenty twenty seven. Yeah, not yet twenty eight. Okay. Well, let's be clear about another thing too. At twenty seven or twenty eight, you were a stone cold killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, what I'm yes. saying is, if you thought about where you were. To where you've right. come. I mean, like you said, you, th- when you talk about leaving the life, I mean, you're talking about at that point when you said you were ready, you cut your fiance loose, you're ready to do your time. You were a you were an OG man. You were a member of Mexican mafia. You know, you were uh, like I said, stone cold killer. You had if somebody had told you, hey, this guy's green lighted, go do him. At that time, you would have gone and done somebody, right? Uh, up until the point that I turned, right? Up until up that until, point. But what I'm until, saying is, but yes. before that, oh yeah. Before oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, were that, loyal, you were a loyal soldier. You would have done whatever uh, MA asked you to do, right? Well, well, at, at that point, I, like the vast majority of the guys, 
we are we were tell we already knew what we had to do. Nobody had to tell us what to do. We we were at that point where we and and when we targeted people, uh, it, it it was nobody actually telling us. Well, you got to kill this guy. You got to kill that guy. We already knew. You know, and and it was just part of our business. It was part and parcel of what we did. It, it, it it's like I said in the earlier episode. It's like mailing a a letter in the mailbox. I mean, it's just business. And and so now to go from that to go from the kid that I was, straight kid, because nobody's born a criminal, to go from a straight kid to a gang member. Well, we know that's a process. It's not just an instantaneous thing. It's learned behavior. And then when you go deep, when you decide to keep on going in that, in that path, well, then and you become a career criminal. You become a cream of the crop, prison gang, uh, whatever uh, uh, extreme gang you, you belong to. Then it's a shock for people from that world to see that you've turned against that life. It's like, how could he do that? After all that that he's done, he's a he was a loyal soldier. Well, you know, <laughs> that's that's the blessing and that's the, the great choices that the very few people make is to get away from that. I call it uh, picture this. Picture somebody on on a truck with no brakes going downhill. And you have a choice. You can remain on that truck and crash, or you can jump off the truck, right? I know it sounds simple, and it isn't simple when you're addicted to that life, when you become part of that life. But it is that simple if you just sit down and think about where you're headed in life. Where am I going? Where am I going? Where does everybody that's gone before me in this group whether it's cartel, whether it's mobster, whether it's white supremacist, black gorilla, Mexican gang, whatever you are, whatever gang, where are you headed in life? What is your ultimate outcome? What is the legacy you're going to leave behind to your kids, grandkids, and family? It, nothing. Zero. There, and so you jump off the truck. That's the logical decision to make. You don't stay on the truck with no brakes and crash. So that was me. I was on the truck and I hopped off. And well, you now, apparently haven't driven in Florida lately. <laughs> some of the old folks out there. Oh. <laughs> you, 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 I don't say it's very often, but you're absolutely right, Morgan. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but 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 you know, kind of funny point, but let me go back. But see, you at 27, you're willing to live the life. You're willing to, other than for um, um, in the Kern County Jail, the people coming to you and witnessing to you and changing your life. But before that, before you even had contact, what is it in your mental makeup, your psyche, would have allowed you to say, okay, I'm going to do the next 50 years in here? You're 27 years old. Yeah. And quite frankly, you probably would have died in prison, right, if you'd survived, you know, uh, getting targeted and stuff. How is it that you can accept in your mind that you're willing to do the next 50 years on the inside? Okay. It's the same mindset. There's a place that's called Rancho Los Amigos in the city of Downey. And I don't know if it still exists, but but back in the 80s and 90s, uh, gang members that were shot and paralyzed would be sent to that facility for rehab. And they interviewed some of those kids there about their 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 wounds and their mindset. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you think about this now that you're paralyzed and from the waist down? And then, you know, what are your thoughts? And, and, and a lot of these kids were still talking about getting revenge against the rival gang. I mean, that's the brainwashing and it all, it all originates with the status with, uh, 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 uh the people, the gang, I know it's, I can apply this to myself. I, I guess my relationship with my stepdad, and I'm, no, I'm not looking to blame him, uh, it all starts at home and, and with everybody. And if you have a good foundation, your, your chances of not being seduced by the street is great. But if you don't have a good foundation at home, you're going to invariably, especially if you come from a, a low-income uh, ethnic type of uh, area, whether it's Polish, Irish, Italian, Mexican, African-American, Puerto Rican, or whatever, you're going to go and take your act to the street where, where you're loved, where you're accepted. 
where, where, where you have loyalty, companionship, family, all of those positive characteristics that now you find on the street. And so you're willing to literally die for your brothers in the gang. Now, where have you heard that before? Military, people going yeah. to battle and fight for their country, right? Fight for their buddies, yeah. Yeah, so you're you know, fighting I, for your buddies, yeah. Hey, Mundo, hold on. Steve and I got to take a quick break here and talk to you about factor. I'm telling you, Steve, you know, you and I talked about what we had to eat. And with fall coming up right now, if you're looking for something, you want convenient meals because, look, I'm a football fan. The wife's a football fan. We got stuff going on. Well, factor is America's number one ready to eat meal kit. It can help you fuel up fast with shelf prepared, dietitian approved, ready to eat meals. Dude, delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, stay on track. And we were talking about you both and I agreed. We like the chicken, the oh, yeah. the, the garlic chicken uh, and the smoothies. Oh. Yeah, the garlic mushroom chicken, the herb-crusted chicken, both of those, and, and the green beans and the veggies that go along with it. Everything was fantastic. And you know, the best thing is, like you mentioned, they deliver right to your door. So there's no jumping in the car, going to the grocery store, which is always a pain in the rear. But you're getting the same nutritional quality, if not better. They're ready in two minutes. You clean up your dishes, you move on, and your life continues. It's amazing how fantastic this is. And we mean, folks, we we mean two minutes. It was ready in two minutes. You get healthy habits without missing a beat. You get to choose from 34-plus weekly flavor-packed, dietitian-approved meals. Again, i got to repeat, dude, ready to eat in two minutes. You can't beat it. But you know what? If you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals, they have these protein-plus meals with 30 grams of protein. Now, I'm kind of into that stuff right now because I'm trying to get my lower chest back up to where my upper chest is supposed to be. So that's a plus right there. And on top of all those meals you can choose from, they have add-ons. They have an assortment of over 45 add-ons, including breakfast items like delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, potato bacon, and and egg breakfast. You had me at bacon. That's exactly what I'm thinking. If it's got bacon in it, I'm there. I mean, they have so much to choose from. The smoothies are fantastic. I had the mango, I had the strawberry banana, and the tropical fruit, and I will vouch for all of them. Oh, that's right. And I'm telling you, we, we, we really mean it. It was really great. The wife was pleasantly surprised. So this August, get factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash GOC50 and use the code GOC50 to get 50% off. That's code GOC50 at factormeals.com slash GOC50 to get 50% off. All right. Hey, Steve, let's get back to Mundo now. That's that's such an important point that you bring out there, Mundo. And, and I think most people, if you just stop and think about it, it makes perfect sense. But young people, you know, especially young teenagers, are looking for acceptance. And you hit the nail on the head. If the family's not accepting you, you're going to yeah. go out and seek that acceptance. And the gangs know that. Right. And they capitalize that capitalize on that. I mean, the, the fact you're telling us about when you when they beat you into the gang I mean, they just beat the crap out of you, and then you get up and you're hugging these guys that just, oh. you know, beat the crap out of you. I was on cloud. I was on cloud nine when I got jumped it's in. Amazing. I, I was bloody and battered, and I was on cloud nine. I, I still remember. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, we were all looking for love in all the wrong places, just like that song. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> don't say that around Morgan. He'll start singing. <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, that's but but see. And see, that's I know when they talk about intervention, let's talk about intervention strategies, because this is a good place to talk about exactly what you brought up. We, we look at all of these gang intervention things. We talk about this. We talk. I mean, look, I did a session at the International Association of Chiefs of Police back in 2009. We actually had Sheroy, Sheriff Leroy Baca, the sheriff of L.A. County at that time, and um, um, Connie, uh, Connie Rice, who was the cousin of Condoleezza Rice, you know, who mm-hmm. became the secretary of state and stuff. But she, they talked about, they, they were looking at gang activity like a disease vector. Where does it start? Where did these things happen? And there seemed to be hot spots and areas to say, this is where things generate from. But look, if, if you were in charge, if you were the gang czar, and you're looking at this now, what are two to three things if we actually talk about intervention strategies? How do we interrupt this cycle, like you say, of getting kids out of that? What, what are some of the things that if parents are listening to this, what can they do to either see the signs or look, maybe you are growing up in a, a poor household and you're just a single parent family. How do you compensate for that lack? Where do you go to get resources to fill that void so that void's not filled by the gang? Well, you got, yeah, there, boy, you talk about a myriad of uh, 
of uh, of components there. You know, you have uh, the the positive role models, uh, uh, boxing boxing programs. I mean, I don't know how they're doing things in California, which which is obviously you know where I, where I originated. Uh, in other parts of the country, uh, and I'm not giving away where I'm at, but uh, they uh, I I advised some people to start some boxing programs because I know it works pretty good in some parts of California. Uh, and I'm, I'm in touch with people that are involved with uh, their law enforcement people that are involved with boxing programs. And that's a way of, of, uh, of funneling that uh, aggressiveness and that energy uh, 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 into the ring. Uh, they used to have handball tournaments uh, uh, for the, for the gangs. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they still do that, but uh Activities, activities for sure, like during the summer, because summer creates what? Boredom. And when you're bored, I mean, <laughs> you, 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 re- you resort to trouble. Okay. Uh, also, uh, jobs, you know, uh, uh, employing these kids when they're young and, and, and demonstrating, showing them the value of earning a quick buck. Uh, I mean, uh, of, 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 uh, as opposed to earning a quick buck from selling dope, uh, uh, earn, earn, uh, teach them the value of actually working hard. And then, of course, when you have that, it's you still have the problem of people that want to earn that quick dollar from selling dope. You, you're in, in one transaction, you're going to make more than you do in one whole day of working, and maybe even in a whole week of working. You know, you're, 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 you're making money the easy way, but then you got to show them, uh, a, a lot of things, uh, the consequences, the consequences of all of that. They have to be in touch with that because now they look at, they look at TV and ev- everything's glamour. You're glamorizing that life, glamorizing those people, you know, the, the cartel guys, uh, when you think about it, those guys, the very minute few way less than one percent way less than one percent are the guys at the top the uh, you know the the the, uh chapo guzman's or whatever they're at the top but how much we were going to say pablo escobar but we gave that away already pablo's dead we've ruined your uh watching the narcos sorry about that window (laughs) well well, yeah 44 years old he he's 44 years old when he gets killed and how many years of that of his life at the end was he hiding like a dog I mean, so what? What? Where's the glamour? Uh, that that's the part that now, of course, looking back, uh, I'm I'm asking that rhetorical question: Where is the glamour? You're you're you're. It's a one way ticket to an early departure from this world. For what? Exactly. You know, for what? You know, that was <clears throat> uh, like him. At one point, he had as many as 500 sicarios protecting him. And on December 2nd, 1993, when he died, he had one guy left. I mean, the, the loyalty from all these people, when you run out of the money, yeah. well, you know, your friends kind of run away. They disappear with the money as well. Sure. There, I mean, there's there's so many things. And you're, <clears throat> I love what you're saying here. There's, I was just making a couple notes I want to bring up as we're going through here. Keeping these kids busy is extremely important. You look at, we just had Julie Redkay, who is the... Steve, uh, you read my mind. I was just thinking, absolutely. Yep, she's the CEO of the of the U.S. National Police Athletic League. Um, her story is out there. She grew up. You'd love listening to her story, Mundo. If you go back and she's just out this week on Game of Crimes. Yeah. Um, how she's getting police officers involved with the communities, uh, and it's not. You know, I read these articles where a lot of cops are saying, you know, oh, we got to go out and hold hands with the community. Well, by God, you're no. a public servant. If that's what it takes to bring people over to yeah. get them to understand what you're doing, then do it. But there's another organization called the DEA Educational Foundation, which I've been a big supporter of for years. It's a nonprofit. And they do just what you said, Mundo. They go into, uh, I forget how many communities they're in. I think it's over 50 now here in the United States, plus they're in international as well. And believe it or not, they get young people involved in hip-hop dancing and taking karate and playing basketball and playing soccer. Activities. Things that, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it, it occupies their time, and it's not that you're trying to to waste their lives. You're trying to give them something to look forward to that they enjoy that maybe they'll become good at and keep them away from the damn gangs. 
Yeah, yeah. The resources, the resources have to be. It's like when you go to when you when I, when I was going to the California Youth Authority. Oh man, they had so many. Uh, I was at the youth training school. They offered uh, trades. They offered programs uh, for people that wanted to rehabilitate themselves. So, they, they, and there, there again, that, that if the resources are available for rehabilitation. And you still have to avail yourself of those resources. If you're a bad guy that wants to just pursue a life of crime, what are you going to do? You're going to exploit those places, those facilities that want to try to rehabilitate people. It's not for everyone. I'm sorry to say it's not for everyone. You have to separate the career criminals and get them away because they're a cancer. And they're polluting the rest of our, our of our population. The kids look at the way the kids are being more and more uh, utilized uh, uh, to uh, to perform criminal acts because it's easier. The kids are not going to get. How long are they going to do? You can't give them the death penalty. I don't think in some places you can. You cannot even give them life. So it's 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 you know it's advantageous to use kids. And I, you know, that, that's a whole brand new thing. Well, they used to call them Minutemen. A lot of the gangs would call them Minutemen because you, you'd pick a kid up, they'd be in jail for a minute, and they're right back out on the street because you couldn't keep them. I mean, there was very little you could do. Exactly. But, but, but I, I interjected that because I wanted to ask you a question about age, about kids. What you see now versus what you see then, what was, what is the, as parents are thinking about this, because we really want to target parents or even single parent homes, what is the prime age for where recruitment starts and where's kind of like the prime age for where um, that crossing that threshold happens? Like, does it start at 12 and go for a couple years? Is it quick? Is it fast? Kind of what's kind of, you know, if we're looking at ages, what are some of the ages we, we really need to be, we should be concerned at every age, right? But as we're looking yeah. at this, what are some of those ages we really got to be concerned about? When I, when, I, when I was a kid, it was about 12 and 13. Now it's probably under, under, you know, 10 and 11 where they start indoctrinating, schooling, uh, uh, and then of course you have, uh, everybody, everybody says it from gang members to gang cops to, to police officers, you, you have a, um, a lot more people disrespecting authority, uh, uh, today than before. And, and, and I think that originates once again, it's not, I don't want to make it sound oversimplified, but it originates from a breakdown in the respect of at home from your from the authority at home. If you have more and more youngsters not uh, or disrespecting and then exploiting uh, uh, and making see everything's becoming turned almost upside down. Bad people, bad people, turn the tables on law enforcement. And they make law enforcement look like they're the bad guys. You see, you see this being played out everywhere. Uh, you see it in prison. That's been happening forever. Food strikes. When we would go on 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 strike, uh, uh, protesting conditions. All we were really trying to do is get our way. We we're trying to get ourselves released uh, to a general population. We were trying to uh, portray ourselves as victims. And you had people that were willing to buy into that. Because they were bleeding hearts. There's nothing wrong with being a, being a bleeding heart if you're embracing a cause, a real cause. But when you're being manipulated and used by by people that have an agenda, then wow, you're 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 you're, you're becoming a co-conspirator, but an unwitting one. And then you have many that are willing co-conspirators on top of that. So you have this whole. From when I was younger, yes, we had manipulators. I was a big manipulator. Yes, you had people that disrespected their uh, authority, but not like today. It's 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 getting worse. It's bad, and it's getting worse. And I think, I believe, it begins at home. Uh, it begins with, uh, I think, employment or lack of employment has a lot to do with it. Uh, people want to be productive. I, I believe that, that that's the, the essence of a person, especially a guy, but even women now. Women, their roles have, ch have changed a lot. They want to be productive. How can you be productive if there's no work, there's no jobs, there's no, there's no love, there's nobody that cares for you? Well, who fills the void? 
the gangs do. The cartels do. You know, the, the, hey, Mundo, let, me, let me. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you, you brought up a really good point. It's about think the respect, and it starts at home, but how things have flipped, right? Because I remember, think about this in your day. Yeah, you're just a little bit older than me and Murph. But in your day, what would have happened if you had been caught by the local grocer shoplifting something? What, what, what would have happened to you back then, like at age 12, 13? Dad would have whipped my butt. I was caught. I, I, I was caught at a Safeway market with a three musketeer in my pocket, and I had my report card in my back pocket. and And I remember that big guy standing there by the, the by the store entrance, and 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 I'm and I'm trying to avoid his eyes, and I uh, I try to like walk around him, and he and he blocked my my escape. I didn't try to run, and then uh, he asked me to, or he told me to empty my pockets. So I, I emptied everything except the three musketeers. <laughs> and he said, empty that pocket too. So I handed him the three musketeers. He he pulled my report card out. He wrote down the information and he told me, I'm gonna give you a break, but I have your 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 parents' information and I have their phone number because it's on your report card. Uh and if this ever happens again. I'm going to make sure your mom and dad know that scared me for a, for a season. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it didn't stop me from being a, a jerk, uh, a knucklehead, but at that time it really brought me to attention. But yeah, in answer to your question, I think we all feared our dad. Well, but yeah. the, the reason I bring that up is that you only have to go on, pick your social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. You see a lot of these stuff. You see people now, there is no fear of anything. They walk into stores. They just steal stuff left and right. Oh, We've yeah. gotten to the point of zero cash bail. There's no consequences for anything. Um, and even the, the uh, in, I'm, I'm laying some things out I want you to weigh in on. Even you've got district attorneys out there who are saying, hey, if it's under 1000 bucks or $2,000, we're not even going to prosecute. So that just gives license to go in there and just steal. And I, I mean, I'm amazed. I'm watching these scenes out of California, by the way, too, uh, as and some others, too. One guy was just, he had a trash can. He walked in, like, with one of those big plastic trash cans, like commercial size ones, mm -hmm. and just started knocking stuff off the shelf into there. Well, he ended up getting his ass beat by the store owners uh, because they're probably, now we're not going to take this. But I see people walk in. They walked out of a sack store with a bunch of bags. Nobody's stopping them. I mean, to your point, we've gone from where... I got my first time I got a ticket, you know, I, I was scared shitless. I mean, I tell my stories, I, I admit it now I peed my pants. I got stopped by the cops. Oh my God, I'm going to jail, you know, for drag racing. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, we got people running from the cops and shooting at the cops at, at the same age I was at peeing my pants, getting stopped by the cops. I mean, so I'm laying these things out to talk about things like zero cash bail, you know, no consequences, not prosecuting these things. What kind of an effect does all of that have in the mentality of the gangs and the mentality of the people now um, as oh, they see this stuff going on? It, it, well, it, it feeds right into that because it, it, it's become more attractive and and more profitable, of course, uh, and more acceptable to be a criminal because you can always blame it on Whitey. You can always blame it on the establishment. You see what I mean? And and I'm not trying to uh, create a, a racial overtone as I say no, dude, this. No, no, no. It's look, you have, you, the one one thing we value you for, Mundo. Just call it like you see it. Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're all adults here. But there is elements of racism. There's elements of hey, you know, a lot of guys that look like me and Murph, you know, yeah. uh, out there on one side, right? So no, we get it. But here's the crazy part about that 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 narrative is that is that the so-called white establishment comes in all colors. I, uh, in some cities, uh, and once again, I don't want to give away where I'm at, uh, but uh, say on the East Coast, uh, and I think on the West Coast, just m the vast majority of police officers are so-called minorities. They're black, they're Hispanic, uh, uh, they're not white. You know, so this notion that the, the system, the white system is oppressing uh, uh, low income uh, uh, minorities is a false narrative. It's it's a it's a perpetuation of victimization that works for certain special interest people. But it's not reality. It's not reality. A good person's a good person, no matter what color he is. You know, uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of good uh, Mexican. Not every Mexican is a criminal and a cartel guy or whatever. Not every black is like that. 
you know, as well. Not every black is crime victim and, you know, oppression and all this. You know, I, I think when the media throws it out there because they love these uh, sensational stories, they give the appearance that this is happening everywhere and that uh, we do have a system that's taken advantage. So what exploit it? And it's that's why I say it's much easier to be a gang member today than, than yesterday. Well, you know, when you were talking about manipulation, and and we've read a couple books uh, about the Mexican mafia before we had met you, and we read about how uh, the mafia would manipulate the the legislators in California. I mean, it was outrageous, and so that and that led to, you know, lower bails, letting people out with lesser sentences. A friend of ours, Christopher Lockhead, puts out a uh, a newsletter and and has his own podcast. In fact, Morgan and I are going to be in his podcast here real soon. But he's talking about in his latest newsletter about how bad it is. Like the average murderer in California is only in prison for 15 years. Rapists for only three years. You've got judges letting fentanyl dealers out on low bail so they can go, you know, sell more drugs. I mean, it's ridiculous what's going on there. The release, the recent release of one of the Manson killers of the LaBianca uh, husband. LaBianca murders. Charlie Manson, yeah. For no reason whatsoever. And there was no discussion of punishment. There was no consideration for the life stake. It was just like, oh, well, we don't think she's a threat to anybody else. They didn't ask the victim's families. It's just outrageous what's going on out there. And, you know, and, and what he's talking about in San Francisco is even worse. And he lives close to that. So if, you know, we're not talking out of turn here. This is somebody that lives in that environment and is experiencing it on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you guys are fighting an uphill battle for sure, and it's an ongoing one. Yeah, uh, I, I you know. wish the legislators, and I doubt that there's a single legislator that listens to our podcast. If you are, please let us know because you know we appreciate your support. But I wish the the legislators could hear your interview about how you manipulate them, and it's not a hundred percent, but it's enough that it that it um, manipulates the entire legislature in specific states to give more freedoms, to give more leniency to the criminals when we've gotten completely away from punishment. That's what prison is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a punishment. Well, call me a cynic, but when you have narratives, when you have political narratives that are created for the purpose of getting elected and reelected, I don't think the truth matters anymore to some people. How have you served the public today? That's what I used to ask my people all the time. What have you done to serve the public today? Yeah. The truth doesn't matter. When you hear, uh, you know, you hear terms like the cause. This is coming from gang members, right? La causa. I remember back in the 60s and 70s, la causa was, uh, it was predicated on the disproportionate number of Mexicans that fought in, in the Vietnam War. Okay, if that's true, then Let's protest peacefully. Let's bring awareness and let's get these guys employed. Let's get them employed. Let's let, let's pursue that you know that angle. I mean that. Uh, 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 I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, I was gonna. I was well, gonna. That's go okay. Somewhere. At our age, we lose our train of thought all the time. <laughs> but you were talking about disproportionate number of the cause, the disproportionate number of Mexicans coming back from the Vietnam War. Yeah. Okay. Ta- talking about la causa, the cause. Uh, back then, it was for the betterment of your people. Bingo. Now, you okay. just nailed it right there. Sorry. Yes. You just nailed it. It's people. Uh, you did. I did. I don't mind when people go out and they advocate when they're sincerely advocating for the betterment of something. But what we see, to your point, you just nailed it. Is we too many people now? They're advocating to pull everybody down, not bring themselves up. It's a and code they, so word. We can't have. Yeah. It's a code word. Uh, 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 it's a code word for a narrative. That's being creative, that, that that's being created uh, with no regard for the truth or fact finding. Trying to really find solutions. Uh, uh, why is Chicago? Why is the number one killer, for example, of African American kids? Other African Americans, right? And the same thing with the, same thing with the Mexican community. I, I can I can speak to that. I, I'm of Mexican origin. Who did we kill more than anybody? Our own. Your own. Your own. Mm-hmm. People. Our own. We killed our own. Does that make us racist against our own? No. 
You know, and that's the, that's the crazy part of this is they've turned the tables, they've turned it upside down and trying to bring a, an archaic narrative to something that does not exist. And and who does that benefit? It benefits the bad guys. It benefits the criminals because they will exploit it. They will take and they call it what? La causa. The cause. <laughs> you I tell you know. what, I'm I'm biting my tongue here just because I know. You know, you see, okay, when a, when a police officer kills a black person, whether it's justified or not, the defense attorneys blow up immediately and throw all this false rhetoric out there against the police. They play the race card. They, lo- they love to do that. Yes. Yep. Simply, it's a white police officer simply targeting a person because they're black. Now, that has happened in our country, regardless of what your beliefs are about our history. That has happened in the past, and it's a shame that it happened. Yes. But the fact that you're not looking at the, the, the facts to start with before you spout, start spouting this rhetoric, and then what happens when a black man kills a black man? It's reported in the news, and it's accepted, and you move on. There's no Unless you're Chicago, outcry. it doesn't even make the news. Yeah. 20 exactly. people get shot and killed over a weekend? Yeah. And, and here in Orlando, I'm seeing it in the news here, the, the Hispanics killing Hispanics. It's wrong. You know, but but that's you know what it is. There's nobody for it's okay. You know, the, according to the narrative, I guess it's okay if they kill each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's not Which okay. Is, it's not exactly. Okay. Yeah, and 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 you know, being the cynic that I am, you know, what I'm looking at is when a black man kills a black man or a Hispanic kills a Hispanic. There's nobody for the lawyers to sue to get a big settlement like the governments like the police departments, like whatever organizations are out there. So they don't hear that jingle in their pocket. Well, they're really not interested in that. I mean, it's a shame. It's wrong what's going on in the country. And let me let you get back to talking about. Well, it, it goes back from it not how much justice can you do you deserve, but how much justice can you afford? And then it goes gets into uh, like, say, before I get off on a rant, I do want to bring up something because you hit upon it, Murph, too. So much stuff is on video anymore, unfortunately. I mean, and now you see shootings involving white officers, black suspects, and there are riots in the street and things being burned down where clearly the video shows the suspect, the black man with a pistol firing at the police officers, and they do what they're trained to do, which is fire back. And 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 what they never should have shot him. They then it's gone from well. I remember the days when when you had a bad report card, they hauled your ass in front of the principal and they go, Johnny, can you explain this? Now, when you got a bad report card, they haul your ass in front of the principal. They look at the principal and they say, can you explain this? Yeah. They've, t- they've put the responsibility on the wrong person. Mundo, you were saying it earlier. It goes back to we've got to be responsible citizens. The only way for the rule of the law to work is to follow the law. And when you don't like the law. Do yeah. what you said. Advocate. Get people together for a cause to come in and say, this is wrong. Let's raise awareness. Let's change it. Yep. Yep. Sorry, we get on our little tangents here every once in a while. You bring it out, Mundo. I enjoy steering the pot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I got yes. a experience like doing that. Yeah. Well, but but let's let's get back to talking about that though. About, about you know the narrative because I'm I'm distressed. Here's the other thing too. This is why the narrative is so screwed up, but people believe it. So everybody's talked about um, defunding the police, and we're like, dudes, Murph and I have been saying this is the wrong thing to do. You know why? Because the only people that suffer when you defund the police are who? The minorities, the disenfranchised, the people on the margins, right? So the blacks, the Hispanics, the people. So if it was really a white conspiracy, I'd be all over saying, hey, you're right. Let's defund the police. You know why? Because doesn't hurt me. I'm whitey sitting here in a neighborhood. Doesn't affect me. It affects everybody else. But you know who the people calling for to refund the police and make sure you don't defund them? Yeah. People across the board, but a lot of whites, a lot of blacks. And in fact, the NAACP out of the Oakland chapter, California, came out and they said, hey, you need to declare basically a state of emergency. We've got crime that is out of control here. What are you guys going to do? Right. I think I think frustration uh, when people get caught up in their narratives, they, they politicians look at their constituents and they go, wow, you know, my constituents uh, are maybe low income area, whatever. And they're hollering uh, for a, a, an answer to a problem. This is the easy way out. So it serves the defund the police narrative. It served the purpose during election time, during whatever time, you know, that, that, that gets rallies of troops, uh, whatever. But then when reality hits home, who are you going to call? 
come on. When you have a, 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 a problem in your community, a criminal problem, uh, people breaking into your stores and everything, the way you just described earlier, uh, crash and grabs and all that, you, you're going to call the police. Of course, you're going you're to call the police, you know, and the majority of the police that are responding are probably people of the same color of your skin if you're living in a in a predominantly puerto rican area most of the the law enforcement people that are already uh employed by that department are are puerto ricans okay and and they're responding and and it's not a a racial thing it's not like oh okay let's say you're a white cop you're a white cop and you're working, uh, I don't know if Nickerson Gardens is still out there. That was in Watts. If you're working Nickerson, or let's use Estrada Courts. I don't want to sound like I'm picking on blacks. Let's pick on Mexicans. Okay, Estrada Courts is a project, housing project that I belong to. So if you're a white cop and you respond to a call with other units and you're the only white cop and then you happen to beat up a bad guy because you were chasing him and then he started fighting you and you had to you you had to subdue him and you beat him up okay you, all of a sudden what emerges the story that emerges from that takedown from that call is this is a white cop beating up mexicans and they're targeting uh, mexicans and you know uh, they're disproportionately targeting us here in estrada courts all 99 percent of the people who live in estrada courts are mexican and so you're probably your gang members are all Mexican. So if you're a bad guy, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Look for a white criminal gang member so that nobody gets on your butt about this? No. Gangs have never been accused of worrying about diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. No, know? of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> they, so that, yeah, yeah. I, so I just say this to say that it's all a game. It's it's a game. It's a narrative that's created, and that that shouldn't deter law enforcement from doing their job, but apparently it does because of the politicians and the pressure that's brought into these uh, the chiefs of police or these uh, sher- uh, sheriffs that have no, uh, no, uh, no balls. You know, I mean, you know, they, they, they're more concerned about their political standing than they are about enforcing the law. Yeah, and, and um, we kind of got off on this tangent. I apologize for doing that. But the point is here, our legislators are being manipulated by the criminals. The criminals know what they're doing. They know how to get what they want. You heard a man right here just now tell you Mundo has been in that world. He was in prison. They knew how to manipulate people to get what they wanted. That was the whole point was to get what they wanted. So realize as a legislator, you are being manipulated. You might think you're doing the right thing, but the truth is you're being manipulated to support the criminals. Open your freaking eyes. You know what it reminds me of? Remember, remember when kids were young, they say, if I don't get my way, I'm going to hold my breath. And my thought was great. You'll pass out, start breathing again. Problem solved, you know, Mm -hmm. but we respond to that too much to your point to the threat. Well, I'm going to go on a food strike. All right. Yeah. Sucks to be you then. Um, when you tired, when you get tired of being, when you get tired of being hungry, you know, give me a call. I mean, it's like, we're afraid to make the tough decisions because I I get it. We have to protect certain people's rights. But my thought is you want to go on a hunger strike. Okay. Knock your socks off. Hey, you know, if you yeah. if you want to do that, they're saying, hey, look, you could do that without even going into the hospital. Say, I'm going to do it. You could just refuse to eat. Just go show up to the chow hall, give your food to somebody else and walk off and quit eating. But they do it to your point, because now they get into an official process to where they can make a statement. But the whole goal is to not go on a hunger strike. The, the purpose of the hunger strike is to get what they want. And what they want is to get you to change your rules. It's that, optics. that end up benefiting. Yeah. Optics. Good point. You know, very good point. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, let's get back to kind of what we were. You, you're right. We went off on a clear tangent because we wanted to. We, well, we went rogue, which actually ties into our next segment, talking about going rogue. We went rogue there for a while, so let's let's bring it back around and talk about because we want to talk about one of the things we did in our first episode uh, when when you got out. One of the things you did is you started doing some undercover work. You started working uh, for the police um, and started going back against the people that you used to run with. But you mentioned it was funny. So let's set the premise for this. When you talked about going rogue. We've heard of rogue cops. They go off the reservation. They do bad things. You know, um, the, you know, they break the laws. They violate laws. So 
I, you know, and I know, right? The gangs have got it figured out. They understand what the rules of the road are. They understand what cops can do and what they can't do. But you had an interesting take on it. You, you, you even used the word which is used out here in Washington D.C. a lot: plausible deniability. So let's let's get into talking about let's let's re kind of visit what you said about going rogue, what that meant, and okay. some ideas from your side. Well, when I when I first uh, when I first turned, so the, the the important thing to remember is the motivation. Uh, uh, and it, this is not to cast good or bad. It's just to cast the understanding because some people, when they turn, they, they have, they have different motives. So, you know, who, who cares what the motive is, is when you guys are working, when law enforcement is working an undercover embedded informant, their purpose is to bring down others. Okay. Bigger fish others, uh, co-conspirators, et cetera. But, 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 but just to, to give you uh, just a quick uh, understanding of my motive, pic- picture yourself, you, picture your body completely dirty and grimy. And you're, 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 you want to take a shower and you want to wash all that filth off your body. Well, I, my life as a bad guy and doing the things that I did was like that filthy body. I wanted to wash the dirt off my body, the grime. And like I told, uh, Chile from, uh, that, that was, uh, the head of the task force guy. It was a D uh, DEA guy. I told him, I can't bring back anybody from the dead. Okay. I'm not here to tell you who I've killed in the past. That, that's uh, there's no statute of limitations on that. But going forward, I want to help you put away the guys that are doing what I used to do. That was my motivation. Is and so I think they found that hard to believe. How do you go from day and night, right? But I'm telling you guys today, you know, forty some years later, that was my motivation. I wanted to amend, to atone. Uh, there was nothing pending. I could have walked away. I could have said, hey, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I got no cases pending. I'm discharged from parole. Uh, I, I can start my, my new life. I can turn my back on my brothers, and they won't even know where to, where to find me, and they're not going to look for me. They figure they don't want an unwilling participant. Uh, Mundo took off. He disappeared. We don't know where he went. No, I chose to work undercover, and my motivation was to atone somehow. Okay, so my first discussion with Chile was they were looking for fugitives. They were, uh, uh, you know, high, highly placed members. I covered that in the last episode. And one of the things he told me, and I may have covered this already, is, uh, no, I told him, I have to be involved in some capacity as a as a Mexican mafia member, you just don't walk around asking people who's killed who lately. So, what if I get involved in the drugs, in the drug selling part of it? Because Joe wants me right there by his side. Joe was a, a highly placed member with the contacts in Mexico, and uh, and and Chile uh, told me that he couldn't give me a license to commit a crime, any crime, but. That he was not that they were not going to be watching me very closely, and so I interpreted that to mean that do what you got to do to bring the big fish to us, and we'll 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 cross the, that other bridge when we get to it. He had to be very careful, and uh, and that's the way I interpreted it. So now it was very easy as an undercover guy, not wearing a wire. They asked me a few times if I if I would wear a wire. I said no. Uh, and, and, and the main reason is because I could bring them what they wanted without having to wear a wire. I, and I, well, you know, know what would have happened if they caught you with a wire? Yeah. It, 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 it yeah, would have been over. And that's, that's what I mean. Is it why take the chance when, when, when guys, jo- we joke around a lot. Hey man, we wearing a wire or what, you know, and, you know, and, and the, we, we always shake each other down playfully, but Hey, you never know. Right. And so I just didn't want to go there. I said, well, when that time comes, we'll, 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 we'll address it. But uh, for now, I can bring you what you want without having to wear a wire. And they were good with it. And I did bring them what they wanted as time went by and then some. Um, so 
Then the greed kicked in. I was making good money selling drugs. All right. I didn't have to pull a trigger. I, uh, on one occasion, there were, uh, there were some uh, brothers that got out of prison. They were impatient. They didn't want to wait for our connection to kick in. So they started doing bank robberies. This was in 77. They started doing bank robberies. I told the task force, there's a lot of guys uh, doing bank robberies, and they've actively discussed if and when they're arrested, they're going to enter the federal prison system which is virgin territory, meaning that they can infiltrate the federal prison system, which today, fast forward today, you've got the number one security threat group are Sudeños. Who controls the Sudeños? Mexican mafia. Uh, who, uh, who is under their umbrella as well? The Paisas. A lot of the Paisas and the feds. You know, uh, so anyway, so let me go back to 77. They're doing bank robberies. So I had, I had some members ask me to uh, organize a bank robbery. And I didn't know nothing about robbing banks. I, I knew how to rip off connections, drug connections, but not robbing banks. So I helped set up a, a bank robbery. I gave it to the task force. They ended up uh, arresting the guys at the scene of the crime, uh, major crimes, robbery, homicide, uh, division of LAPD. They had a shootout and they killed a Mexican mafia member uh, in the process. So that was something that I, again, I wasn't, that wasn't a rogue uh, uh, endeavor because I did give it to the task force, but, uh, but there was something that I was involved in, in the course of my undercover operation uh, is help, you know, give, giving them information, helping them, uh, uh, I didn't, like I said, didn't know, I knew nothing about robbing banks, but I gave them, I told them instead of robbing the tellers to take over the bank. <laughs> and the only reason I knew that much is because uh, Champ Reynoso, one of the Mexican mafia guys that successfully did a takeover bank robbery in Thousand Oaks, uh, that's, he explained to me how he did it. And so I just kind of pass that information like I knew it firsthand to these guys. And, uh, but, but drug, drug dealing was the greed kicked in. I was selling a lot of drugs, but that wasn't the act that made me a bona fide rogue informant. Uh, and I beat myself up over it because I justified it back then. <clears throat> I, uh, this bank robbery I just told you about, it, it did cast from one member uh, some suspicion upon me. Uh, Mundo knew about the bank robbery. Mundo knew how we were going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And so he cast uh, an air of suspicion upon me um, uh, among the fellow membership. But the reason I knew that they didn't take it seriously is because three of them came back and told me about it. And they were not rocking me to sleep or playing me out the box or anything like that. They they sincerely, uh, uh, they disagreed with uh, Gabby. That was the guy. They disagreed with him that I would, uh, how dare he even suggest that I, and he said, no, no, I'm not saying that he did. I'm just saying he knew about it. So I saw that as suspicion. And so I get arrested not too long after that for a, a possession for sale by LAPD uh, administrative narcotics guys. And I, uh, I get bailed out uh, within a couple of days. And then Joe Morgan calls me and asks me to uh, visit him at his house. So when I go down, I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I, who's Joe Morgan? Joe Morgan was a Mexican mafia guy. Okay. He's uh, the, the the one that had the drug contacts that I that I just explained er, uh, a little earlier. So Joe, <clears throat> I'm thinking. Well, I, I I wonder if these guys found out. I wonder if if this is a setup to be hit. At at, at every turn, working undercover, I, it, it, you're, you're always wondering: Did they find out? Uh, is there? You, you you know, you just don't know. It's a, it's a very nerve-wracking <laughs> uh, a role to be if you're embedded like that, the way I was. But I never showed 
it, that on the outside, only on the inside. And hey, so, Mondo, real, yes. real quick right there, before we get into that, just because I'm curious, how did you set it up to where they were caught? In other words, how did you set it up to deflect as much suspicion away from yourself? Like, um, was it a setup or did, was it set? Was, was it like, were they tailing one of the guys and that's what led them to it? How did you, how did they set it up to where they, these guys got uh, interdicted at the robbery? I, I gave them, I gave the task force the information about them uh, looking to do a takeover bank robbery and that I had given them the game and I had told them how to do it. In fact, I'm the one that suggested rather than uh, rob a teller that they take over the bank. Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.